You know, this morning during worship, um, it was just so awesome. I, I can't wait until we have a live band because I would have told them, okay, stop playing. Maybe just keep a you know, rhythm going or something. Because your worship was so loud and so awesome. I wanted to hear that over what we were doing up here. You know, he is so pleased with that. He loves that. You know, the Bible says that, that he inhabits his praise. You ever think about what that means? He inhabits his praise. That doesn't mean he just comes out, kind of hangs out on the balcony and just kind of listens. Are they praising me? Okay, awesome. I'll go check the next one. That's not what he does. He inhabits his praise. That means he jumps right in the middle of us. He makes it his home. He hangs out in such a way that he is part of us. I I don't know about you, but when you think about that, that blows me away. That makes me want to worship. That makes me want to praise him. Because if that will keep him here, I want him to stay. You know, we worship him through music. But we also worship him when we talk about him. When there are things that he gives me to share to you guys. By the way, I want to tell you that It's really kind of just my body that's standing up here because I am receiving the same as you. What he has for us, he has for all of us. This isn't something that I go and decide, okay, well, you know, the climate of the church is kind of this, so maybe they need this and and, and I'll have this topic set up for these weeks and I mean, actually, if it were that way, it'd probably be a little easier. <laughs> a little easier on me. But no, God gives me what he wants for all of us. What he wants for you and what he wants for me. Last week was unique for me. I don't know if you remember, that was a whole seven days ago. <laughs> but last week was unique because it was the first time I didn't know what I was going to say until it was coming out of my mouth. So see, I got to enjoy it the same as you guys. I got to listen to it the same as you guys. But see, the Lord has something for us this morning. And if you open your heart to listening to Him, He's going to come in and commune with you. He's going to reveal to you what that is. Last night, I don't know if if, uh, there were some others in here, um, but yesterday was the anniversary of the, it's called the Azusa Street Revival. Back in 1906, there was a revival that broke out on Azusa Street in California, just somewhere near L.A., (laughs) Southern California. Broke out in 1906. And that is what propelled a, an, an incredible move of the Holy Spirit. Okay. 
I was watching because they did a big celebration last night out in California at uh, the Coliseum. Uh, It's either USC or UCLA. I can't ever remember. But um, they had 100,000 people just worshiping. And we had somebody from our church that was there. Aaron is there right now. And it was awesome to be worshiping and watching what they were doing. And, of course, they're all professional and they're all great musicians and everything else. But you know what? That's what we had this morning in our worship. That's what we had in our worship with Jesus Christ this morning. See, it doesn't matter what you have surrounding you. It matters what you have right here and the communication that you have with him. So he has something for us this morning. And this past week, as I was thinking about this last night, the Lord reminded me of something I saw. And I'm trying to remember where I saw it. I can't remember if it was God TV or it was some, some preacher. I can't remember. But Alex and I, which she'll probably remember. Um, but he, he was talking about expectation. And he was talking about, you know, God's will for our lives and, and how he, he gives us something and then he begins to mold and do that work in us. And he was saying, you know, for, for those of you who, who have ever received a word of prophecy, Okay, about, about your life. You know, someone comes and, and they'll give a, a, a word about what God is going to do in your life. Okay. And, and it was funny because this person was saying that he knew somebody who, you know, on Friday they got this word of what the Lord was going to do in their lives. You know, what he was going to use them for. When he tells you what he's going to do in your life, and he was saying, by Monday, they're thinking, why hasn't this happened yet? <laughs> you know, when we hear from the Lord, we are Americans. Thank you, Lord, the good old microwave society. When we hear something, we think immediate. Oh, and I'll tell you what. <laughs> it doesn't change. The closer you get with the Lord... That, that seems to be an ingrained thing in humans, or at least in us, that is hard to change. Because I find so often the biggest thing I get wrong about what God wants to do in my life is this thing called timing. When. You know, when. I, I've had many prophecies over my life in the last couple of years. And, and I'm like, Lord, were you, were you serious? Because it hasn't happened, hasn't even come close to happening. So, so what, what are you, you know, I, I don't get it. And he, you can imagine a God that is outside of time just thinking, yeah, you don't get it, do you? You know, this, this is what I have for you. But for you to be ready for what I have for you, I've got to do a lot of things in your life. There's things that you're going to have to react to when you're in this place that I'm going to put you that gets you, I need to get you ready for that because I need you to react the right way. When I put you into situations where you are affecting other lives, 
it becomes so much more important. It becomes more important to God when we have an effect on somebody's life that we are prepared to have that effect. See, you can imagine if you were putting that same thing together too, you know, if, if, you, were, if you were placing these dominoes in a place, you, you've all seen those, those uh, YouTube videos and stuff of where they set up all these dominoes and they just touch the first one and then it makes this masterpiece of chaos, whatever it is. And then when it, you know, it just all goes together perfectly. You can imagine if you were setting all that up and it took hours or perhaps days to put it together, you're going to make sure each one is how it needs to be before you hit that first one down, right? Why do we think God's going to be any different? Why do we think God is going to place us in something that we're not ready for? So oftentimes we, we have a couple different reactions when when the Lord lays on our heart something he wants us to do. Okay, when he does that, we may have fear over that. We might be afraid of, well, Lord, I, <laughs> I don't even like to be in front of people. Just like Moses. Moses started giving excuses. Lord, I can't even talk. Which, by the way, we know is a lie. Because when he was raised in Egypt, the Bible says that he was very good at speech. Oops. Moses lied to God. Now, do you think God knew? Of course God knew. God also knew that he had prepared him for that. So sometimes we react in fear. But other times, we react in urgency. Well, he said it. That must mean he needs it, so I'm going to walk. I'm just going to go that direction because I know that's where he wants me to be. And we start placing those those dominoes ourselves. And see, the problem is we don't know the whole picture. So we might be placing dominoes in a place that just goes off to nothing. Oops. Now, we didn't just hurt ourselves. We didn't just take our purpose and our effectiveness and send it off into Never Never Land. What we did was we affected the whole picture. You see that? If you're part of something that God is painting, this masterpiece that he is painting, you can imagine that his purpose for you is critical. It says in 1 Corinthians 12 that, that in the body of Christ there are many members and we all have different functions. See, there's a reason for that. See, because this domino may propel something straight. This other domino may begin a curve. This other domino may, may, when it falls, it activates something that pops another domino up to another level, and then it knocks them down. You ever see those? It's like the coolest thing in the world. I seriously would not have the patience for that. I'd get about a third of the way through and just, <laughs> forget that. But that, that's God. Imagine his patience. And he knows that this domino is critical to all the others. See, there's none in that masterpiece that can be wasted. None. So you can imagine the situation God is in. Thank goodness he's God. <laughs> because, see, this domino over here doesn't want to cooperate. This domino wants to go its own direction. 
So see, God needs to deal with us in that way. And at some point, God stops fighting you. When you're trying to go your own direction, God stops fighting at some point and says, okay, you know, we'll, we'll just let them go off this way and we'll, make, we'll, we'll allow them to be just a piece of this masterpiece that has no effect on other people. But see, then God takes another domino and he puts it in that place. Why? Because he's got to keep the masterpiece coming together. So we run a risk. We run a risk if we try to effectively take God's plan for our lives and put it into place too soon. We run a risk that we're not ready, that we're not going to fall in the right direction once he activates that. We also run a risk by reacting in fear, like Moses did. You can imagine, and the the Bible doesn't shed any light on this, but you can imagine what Moses gave up because of his fear. God still placed him in that masterpiece. God still used him in the way he wanted to use him. But the blessing that Moses received was different. What God called him to do in its entirety, he was not willing to do because of fear. There's no place for fear in the body of Christ. Because fear is the opposite of faith. And you know what? It makes sense that it would be. Because if if faith is the very thing that God loves... Satan's going to come up with something that will combat that fear or combat that faith directly or head on and make it so easy to do it. So he came up with fear. Being afraid of the very thing that pleases God. Imagine that. He's pretty cunning, isn't he? But see, that's the beautiful thing. When we have Jesus Christ in our hearts, the Bible tells us we don't have to be afraid. See, if you're called to be in something you're uncomfortable with, you don't have to be afraid of that. I'm going to say for two reasons. One, if God said it, you could trust him to do it. When Jesus sent out the disciples, he said, said, don't worry what you're going to say. He said, because when you're there and you're about to speak, The Father is going to speak through you. So they didn't have to be afraid. So sometimes we react, you know, this fear that we have can be because we're not ready. Or it can also be a fear that maybe God really won't do what he said. That also boils down to faith. Do we trust what he said? I want to go through a couple of scenarios here with you in the word of God. And it's all wrapped around this idea that, God, why isn't it happening right now? Because when we read the word of God, we, we don't, it's, it's funny, we do in our own lives, we insert time, this element of time, because we have to live through it. But when we read the Word of God, we don't really insert the 
the time element. You know, you read through it and you, oh, he had an awesome life. God just really worked in his life and everything. And we don't pay attention to, to the time it took to do that. So I want to look at that a little bit this morning. And, and the first one, we won't turn, but I'll, I'll mention, was the beginning of the nation of Israel with Abraham. You know, Abraham, when he, when he was told he and Sarah were going to have a baby, you know, again, we read that story and we think, oh, that's awesome. And, you know, well, we know it was at least nine months, right? <laughs> it was 20 years. And we have evidence of that doubt that creeped into or crept into, into Abraham's life. Why? Because he took matters into his own hands. He and Sarah thought, well, well, God promised this, but clearly he didn't have a plan. So we're going to go ahead and make our own plan because we know this is the direction that he wants to go. So let's start placing our dominoes, Sarah, in this way, because we're going to go ahead and achieve that plan. Why? Because God promised. Well, do you realize that didn't happen right away? Okay, when God told him he's going to have a son, he had great faith. It was when the enemy came in and whittled away at that faith that Abraham and Sarah began to think, okay, well, maybe we were supposed to do something else. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, here's my handmaiden. I don't know where in the world they came up with that one. Here, this must be his plan. So they start taking their dominoes and putting it in the direction that they think God wants to go. By the way, that usually creates a mess. In Abraham's life, it created a huge mess. But it creates the same mess in our lives and our families' lives and those who we have contact with. So Abraham had faith, had doubt, but God still followed through. And when you read in Hebrews 11 about, about the, the patriarchs of faith, there's Abraham. Because he believed God. So praise God when we do doubt when we do mess up, he doesn't just pull our domino out and say, oh, okay, well, that one doesn't work anymore. No, he'll adjust us. He'll replace us. He'll give us opportunity because he loves us. Another one is Joshua. I love Joshua is one of my favorite, favorite stories in the Bible. And I want to I pull up verses on this one. Let's go to... Numbers chapter 13. This is so funny. I should have pulled all this up ahead of time because as bad as I shake, it's really kind of humorous to watch me try and navigate on my iPad. It's like I get lucky if I hit it. All right. Numbers chapter 13 verse 2. Okay, and this is talking about Joshua. We all know what, what's happened here is, is Moses led the people out of Egypt, right? And, and they've come out of Egypt, and now they're, they're parked on, on the side of the Jordan. And right on the other side of the Jordan is Jericho, and that's the promised land. And we're going to go and inherit the promised land. So Joshua was one of the men sent out. Verse 2 says this. 
Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one of them, every one a chief among them. So Joshua was certainly a chief among them. And he was sent out as one of these 12 spies to go look at the land, which I, I think is funny. You know, go, it, it's almost like a teaser. You know, God used this point to test his people. Do you really trust me? See, he didn't need to send them into the land to prove that the land was good. They came back, all 12 of them, and said it was good. He sent them in the land to test their trust for him. And we know the story of that. Turn to Joshua chapter 19. Joshua chapter 19, verse 49. Now, by the way, Joshua was about 20 years old when he was sent as one of the spies. So you can imagine... We have, we have many pretty close to that age in here. You can imagine putting yourself in his position. Okay? God is telling you, here's the future that I have for you. By the way, Joshua was a leader amongst his tribe at 20 years old. And he said, I have this great plan for you. I've pulled you out of Egypt. Remember, just days before this, Joshua was a slave. Joshua was under the burden of Egypt, being beaten, having to work, not get paid, perhaps not get much food, under bondage that you and I don't even really understand, 20 years old. And now he's facing the very promise that God said he, he would have. And he's going into the land. Okay, so verse 49. When they had finished distributing... Actually, let me back up. Because rather than pull up all the verses, before I read this, what ended up happening, you remember, is ten of the spies came back and said, yeah, the stuff's good in there, but the people are big. (laughs) And they reacted in fear. And they apparently had louder voices than Joshua and Caleb, who came back and said, well, yeah, they're big, but whatever. God said we could take them, we could take them. So what happened at that point, God's will was for those people to cross the Jordan right then and go into the promised land, claim the very thing God had planned for them, but they didn't. Because the people listened to the tent. Instead of the two. Okay, what I want to point out, and then what happened? They, God said, this generation will pass. Nobody will be left alive over a certain age that will enter the land. So they roamed really a small area. <laughs> you would think they'd figure out where they were. They roamed a small area for 40 years. And then God took them in different ways to teach them what he wanted to teach them if they would have just accepted his forget, accepted his plan, did it his way, exercised the faith, 
Instead, they roamed for 40 years. Okay, we all know that story. But imagine it from Joshua's standpoint. God, you told me the plan for my life. I'm to inherit this land. And by the way, Joshua's, his tribe was to inherit a specific piece of that. Same with Caleb, the other one. It's, God said, every place that your feet trod, Caleb, will be yours. Oh, but by the way, you've got to wait 40 years. Imagine their feelings. Imagine how Joshua felt when the, the other... Remember, this is no fault of his. No fault of his. He came back. He did what he said he was... What God told him to do. He had confidence. He had faith. He had no fear. And yet, because of the placement of where he was, he was shuffled in with the rest. Ouch. Boy, that's not the God that that I serve, right? The God that I serve would never make me pay for somebody else's problems. You know, that's an interesting point because oftentimes we look at success in our lives as God's good. Well, God, you, you, you gave me a better job. I make better money. I drive a nicer car. I have more influence. I can tell more people about you. So I must be doing it right. But see, that's not the real gauge. The real gauge was intimacy with him. The real gauge was his heart aching for the Father. So see, God looking down, just looking at this situation, he knew he could prepare Joshua's heart, whether they were traveling in the wilderness or conquering the land of Canaan. See, to God, it wasn't what they were doing. It was the intimacy that he wanted to have with Joshua. But imagine Joshua's mind. It's like, seriously? I I, I could have had this when I was 20. And now I don't even go into the land until I'm 60. Takes about seven years to conquer the land. I don't even get the land until I'm 67. Now i got to work it? (laughs) Wait a second, retirement age is 65. That doesn't make sense. Let's read this. Verse 49. When they had finished distributing the several territories of the land as inheritances, the people of Israel gave an inheritance among them to Joshua, the son of Nun. Finally, finally he gets his inheritance. Now, luckily, he doesn't die at 70. That maybe would have been, you know, a a sad part of the story for us to read. He lives till 110. But imagine the patience he had to have. Knowing full well what God called him to do, knowing full well what God was going to give him, he had to have patience. Why? Because he was only one of the dominoes. And, And God had to prepare all the others. God had to put them all in a place to present that masterpiece. It wasn't just up to him. But yet God 
could build his intimacy in Joshua, no matter where he was. That's why 40 years later, when they finally did cross the Jordan, Joshua was put in charge, and Caleb right under him. That's why. Joshua took over for Moses because of his faithfulness at the age of 20. Think about that. Let's look at another one, and I, I love I love this story too. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37, we're, we're reading about Joseph here. And, you know, Joseph is one of 12. I don't know if anybody in here is from a family that big. I know, I know my, my wife, uh, her, her dad came from a family of 14. That's a busy family. When, when, we, when we go to, it used to be when we go to um, family reunions, there'd be two, 250 people there. You'd always meet people you didn't know. Now, now it's too big. We get, the whole family can't even really get together now. Now we have over 100 just with her siblings, nieces and nephews. So you can, you can imagine what it would be like to be raised with 12 siblings, 12 boys at least. I don't even know how many girls. And you're the last one, by the way. My name's Joseph. I'm the last of 12 boys. Okay, the last of which should inherit anything. Because it goes in succession. I'm, there's 11 ahead of me, so my chance of getting much authority from my father is about this much. Okay, about zero. But yet, God gives him a dream. Now, I don't know why he told his brothers his dream. <laughs> but he gets these two dreams that he tells his brothers... And, and maybe he did because he knew it would make him mad. Now, I'm going to assume he did because the Lord told him to. But in reality, I think there's a little humanity in there. You think you guys are over me? Yeah, let me tell you about this dream I had. Okay, let's, let's read about it. Verse 5 in Genesis 37 says this, Now Joseph had a dream, and we, when he told it to his brothers... They hated him even more. Yeah. He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, and he sounds excited about it. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheep arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brother said to him, You are indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams than for his words. Verse nine. Then he dreamed another dream. He didn't leave well enough alone there. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father 
kept the saying in mind. Go up to verse 27. Their reaction to him was not good. (laughs) Really, you're going to reign over us. Okay. We'll see how you do that from a hole in the ground. Now, see, their original plan was to kill him. Isn't it interesting how God intervenes? Isn't it interesting that God will fulfill his plan regardless of what we try to mess up? Okay, verse, what did I say, 20, verse 27. Then, Midian, then Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. So this sets a new direction for Joseph. See, Joseph was being raised under his father, and, and, and you know, his, his plan was set. His father loved him, by the way, loved him more than the others. Maybe that's how he felt, you know, some, some sort of uh, uh, that he was okay saying these dreams. Okay? So their original plan was to kill him, and then they said, well, no, let's make a little money off him. Let's sell him. So do you see how God begins to do his plan regardless? So he goes to Egypt, and, and you, know, you know this story. Then turn to 39, verse 5, chapter 39. So now he's in Egypt, he does well, he, he, you know, he, he clearly has these dreams, and, and he shares these dreams, and he, he interprets dreams for others. He becomes, he, he's clearly good at business. The Bible says, and I'm just paraphrasing all this stuff that we just skipped over. He, he's good at business, so Potiphar, who, who is a, a, a leader, he takes him into his house. Makes him second in command. Joseph now is in charge of everything that Potter, Potiphar owns. And, and just amazing, amazing things he, he gives to Joseph. So you can imagine, think through this whole thing in Joseph's mind. Because that's what I really want to get at. In Joseph's mind, originally when he was with his dad, he has these dreams. God begins to lay on his heart what he's going to do in his life. Okay, well God's going to do this in my life, so I, I, I tell everybody, now I'm in a hole. Wait a second, God, you are going to put me here in life, and now I'm in a hole? You are going to put me above my brother's father and mother, and now I'm a slave? I'm sold into slavery, and now I'm in Egypt? I'm not even in my own land? So you can imagine where his mind is going. And as you're thinking through this, think in your own life where God has called you. What he has told you that he wants you to do in your own life. Maybe that was a few days ago. Maybe it was years ago. I remember as a kid, I felt called to preach. As a kid. All the other kids wanted to be firemen, you know, policemen, superman, whatever. I wanted to be a preacher. 
Because there were people in my life, in my family, that were preachers that I looked up to and loved. That's what I wanted to do. Somewhere along the line, as I got into college, that went off track. You know, I tried to take my dominoes a different direction, thinking that's what God wanted. And then when I exposed myself to the enemy trying to do it my way, the enemy then had the right to come in and mess with me. Take me off the direction that God had. But I'm here to tell you that if that's where you're at, no matter how long ago God called you to do something, if, it got, if you took yourself off track and wondered now it's way too long, I'm way off track, I could never get back, I'm here to tell you that's not true. It took over 25 years, but he brought me full circle. He got me back into his mosaic, into his masterpiece. And that's where he wants you. It doesn't matter what took you off track. Because what took you off track was of the enemy. It could be any type of sin. It could be as simple as taking our eyes off him. Not trusting in him. Taking matters into our own hands. Like Abraham did. But God always wants to put you back in that mosaic. He always wants to put you back in that masterpiece. And there is always a way for him to do it, as long as you're breathing. There's always a way. Now, I know in here, you know, the, the vast majority are young people, and, you know, you, you can't think back 25 years. <laughs> but see, it doesn't matter if it was two years, three years, six months. God has a plan for your life, and you have a choice. You have a choice to follow his plan or develop your own. By the way, he's going to work with you on both of them. Just like he did Joshua, just like he did the children of Israel that had to roam for 40 years. See, God's plan is for us to love him, to have faith in him. His reward was the promised land. And, and I, I don't want to, you know, say that these are the thoughts of God, but to me, I would imagine it doesn't matter how he has to work with us to get the very faith that he wants from us. He could do it through rough times, or he could do it through beautiful gifts. He just wants the response. He just wants us to lay our lives down for him. Stop listening to the enemy who says, you're no good. God can't use you anymore. You've gone down this path way too long. I mean, look, look at how much you've done to hurt him. There's no way he's going to use you now. See, that's a lie. 
That's a lie from the enemy. God will use you when you turn to him. And it doesn't matter how old or how young you are. It doesn't matter how long you've been saved. It doesn't matter on any of those things. All that matters, all that matters, is that you're seeking to let him place you. That's why, you know, we've talked about this many times. Jesus simplifies things in our lives. See, he knows that we could get bogged down in complicated plans. So he simplifies it. He said, seek me. Seek me where I am. Seek me in my kingdom. Seek my righteousness. Seek intimacy with Jesus Christ. That's all you have to worry about. See, that's, that's all Joshua did. That's all Joseph did. You know, now what happened to Joseph? Here he is lifted up to the second highest, you know, under Potiphar, and all things are good, all things are awesome. He's saying, yes, Lord, I have reached the pinnacle of what you have called for me to do. Although those dreams hadn't come true yet. And then what happens? Well, you know what? You're not quite ready. We're going to take you into another cycle of testing. And so Potiphar's wife, she, Joseph must have been good looking. She liked him. He didn't, he was, wanted nothing to do with her. And that bothered her. <laughs> right? So, so she framed him. And here Joseph finds himself in jail again. How depressing must that be? I have never been in jail myself. I've never been in jail. Joseph, now this is his second time. He's a repeat offender. Think about how depressed that could make you. If he did not keep focused on the fact that God told him what he's going to do in his life. He told him the position that he was going to place him in. So Joseph is like, whatever, Lord. It doesn't matter where you place me, because I trust you. What about your own life? God told you, I want you to do this in your life. I want you to trust me. This is where I'm leading you. And then all of a sudden something happens to derail that. And you're thinking, where did I go wrong? What did I do wrong? Maybe I wasn't reading his will correctly in the first place. Something is totally off here. But see, Joseph could have said that. But he didn't. He trusted God. And God worked it around to where he ended up being the number two in all of Egypt. And we won't keep reading this story. I'll just surmise it for you. When he was number two, Lord told him there's going to be a famine coming. And it was where his father and brothers were. So see how God worked the circumstances? They had to come to Egypt, and Joseph, being wise, had saved up all that was going to be needed. 
So not only was he able to provide for his family, the very ones that threw him in the hole, that sold him into slavery, that were upset with him because, they said, because he said that he would rule over them. Not only could he provide for them, but they moved to Egypt. They moved to where he was. See how God worked that masterpiece in his life? All because Joseph was willing. It didn't matter where God had him. You know, and there are many other examples in the Word of God. David's another example. David's one of my favorite stories to read. You know, you want to you talk about passion as a young person. How about being anointed, you know, when you're 15 years old or whatever it was. Being told by by uh, Samuel, that you're going to be king. And, 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 and again, you're, what, number eight. <laughs> you're, you're not the oldest son. You're not even the second or third or fourth. You're way down at the end. And you're going to be anointed king. Oh, okay, awesome. Oh, back, back to the sheep, Lord? <laughs> okay. He goes back to the sheep. It was some 15 years later. Before he began, or before he was anointed as king. And we won't take the time to go through that, but all he went through in the meantime, the very king that he ended up replacing kept trying to kill him. You can imagine David's thinking in his mind, well, Lord, I know I'm going to be king, but you keep trying to get me killed. You know, things aren't looking the way that you told me it was going to go. But see, we fail to realize and we fail to, to connect in our brain that he doesn't tell us the how. He just tells us the what. I've called you to a specific thing in your life, but I have to prepare you for that. He doesn't tell us how he's going to prepare us. He didn't tell me what he was going to do over the last two years when he told me to get rid of the business. He didn't tell me how he was going to provide for me. He just told me he was. And he said, just believe me. He didn't tell me how we were going to affect Newark as a church. He didn't tell me the road it was going to take to get there. He just told me that we were. He just said that we are going to change Newark. Why? Because we're special? No. Because we said yes. See, that's all God requires. Is a yes. He doesn't require you to have great speech. He doesn't require you to have great intellect. He doesn't require you to have great bravery. All he wants is a yes. See, because he wants to fill you every step of the way. He wants to give you what you need every step of the way. So as he's placing 
your domino in that masterpiece, he begins placing you with others that you work in tandem with. This takes time. Does it change what he said? No. I want to read you something. This is something that Jesus had said to our group. This was back in February. I'm excited for this flood that's going to happen in Newark. He has said through prophecy many, many times that there's a flood coming in Newark. He's also said that we're fire, right? Maybe that's why our logo is on on fire. Okay, so I'm excited for this flood that's going to happen in Newark. Kind of seems a little counterintuitive for us to be ignition and there's going to be a flood coming. But trust me, that flood is going to light the biggest flame you've ever seen. Kind of more like an explosion. But you understand. Because you guys will be in front of nations. 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 All the things that I did while I was on earth can't even compare to the things that you guys are going to do right here in this church. The healings that will be taking place, the casting out of demons, if only you guys could see what I see. The lives that you are going to speak over, the hands that you are going to touch. See, I've had two years of the Holy Spirit Revealing to me what he wants to do in this church. What he wants to do in you. What he wants to do in me. The fact that it hasn't happened yet, does that mean it's not going to happen? No. He's placing his dominoes where they need to be. And at some point, he taps that first one. See, our alignment, we don't have to worry about the placement. We just have to let him place us. We have to let him do what he wants to do. We can't be afraid. We can't doubt his calling. We can't doubt him because that hinders the placing. And there's an enemy that's going to do his best to make us down. I want to play a video. This is a powerful video that Wendy actually sent me yesterday. And it goes with what I'm talking about. I remember my little niece ran up to me and told me, we learned about Jesus today. And I could tell by her smile she was so excited to learn about this man that she did not quite know yet, but she knew without a doubt for it to be true because after all, mommy said so. 
And that was the first time in my life that I looked into the eyes of a child and envied them because she had no idea of what it feels like to doubt. What it feels like to have your entire belief system overload with skepticism. To never know the day that you would finally be able to live beyond the shadow of a doubt I've lived in its darkness for so long. It, it seems like I have all the right questions. But never enough answers and my faith is small enough to fit in the cracks of my palms. God, every night I lay my head down to sleep, the city of my mind is attacked by a legion of questions threatening the living rooms of my sanity and holding them hostage. Can you help me? Last year, my grandmother laid in a hospital bed like a bus stop waiting for God to come pick her up. I had never seen such pain and such confidence living in the same eyes when she told me, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I know who I belong to. And I was so happy for her. And something inside of me wished that somehow before she passed away, she could pass down her confidence in God to me like an old family picture. I remember sitting in the back row of a cold sanctuary, crying, because I desperately wanted what the preacher was saying to be true, but my doubts were preaching a sermon of their own, and the streams of my tears turned into oceans of frustration. I remember sitting in a college classroom, and the only thing being tested is my faith in God. The only thing passing is my hope. Me in a backpack full of fear, nowhere to go, no one to help me unpack. I sleep. I sleep, but I never rest. These lines around my eyes are not wrinkles. They are maps that show you the winding roads that lead to my pain. I'm tired. I'm tired. And I'm longing for the day that I can place my fingers in his nail-pierced hands because honestly, I've considered quitting, but where will I go? Back? There's no home for the living in the land of the dead, so I keep pressing forward. Today I have faith, but I can't make any promises about tomorrow. I'm surprised I've held on this long. God, just make me feel like I'm not crazy. God, let me know that I'm not just making friends with these walls when I pray. I'm not questioning you. I've just got questions. Don't leave me here. Don't. Don't leave me. seems like you have all the right questions, but never enough answers, and your faith is small enough to fit in the cracks of your palms, I told you. Faith the size of mustard seeds can rearrange whole landscapes and turn mountains into open highways. Faith comes by my word, so maybe you've cuffed your ears, my child, don't be childish. But consider the child whose faith has not quite learned the definition of impossible. Have your questions. I'm not telling you to have a blind faith, 
I'm telling you to consider the blind men who had faith and believed my words before they were even able to see me. Consider the birds that eat from my hand and do not fall from the sky without my consent. So how much more will I love the ones that I died for? Before you doubt me, doubt your doubts. Doubt your doubts, and you will see they are just as empty as the tomb that I walked from. Truth is, truth is, you know I'm here. You know my truth, and you're scared. Scared of what that means. Scared of what that should cost you. That one day, they will all laugh at you, laugh you right out of their classrooms, and scorn you out of their courtrooms. But my love serves as an eviction notice to anxiety. When they cast stones, my love casts out fear. I am the author and finisher of your faith. I've never started a work that I will not finish. I am the one... I am the one who will give you courage to stand deaf in the face and say, how dare you try to scare me? I know who I belong to. And when it feels like you are drowning, when it feels like you are drowning in a sea of your questions, just know I'm there. I'm there. Like when I drowned in the Red Sea of my blood for you, and these hands that took holes will hold you. And when I told you that I would love you forever, I meant it. Don't you see these rings in my hands? See, we are married. For better or for worse. Through sickness and in health, through faith and through questions, till death brings us closer, you are mine. And I am yours, I promise. Amen. Wow. You know, is it where you're at? Do you believe? First, do you believe Jesus has a purpose for you personally? Do you believe he has a purpose for you personally? Secondly, have you said yes? Have you said yes to that purpose? Because he can't begin preparing us to be placed into the masterpiece if we haven't said yes. That's a yielding spirit where I yield my will to his will. Have you said yes? Then all you have to do is believe. Don't doubt. Believe that he's doing a work in you. Believe that he is preparing that placement of you in that mosaic where he needs you to be. And he's going to complete that work. Because this is his masterpiece. That's what his bride is. 
The body of Christ is his masterpiece, and he's going to take great care in placing each domino. So if you said yes, then don't doubt. Just believe and trust. We do that as a church. We know what God has called us to do. We know what he said he's going to do. We just wait. And we lift up his name. And we, we draw close to him. We let him buff the edges. Whatever needs to be done for him to do his will. But we wait. The waiting does not make the reality of the future any less real. What God has said he's going to do with Ignition Church, he will do with Ignition Church. What God has said he wants to do in your life, he will do in your life. So believe. Believe him. Trust him. Nobody can get in his way. Nobody can stop him from doing what his plan is to do. Nobody. So trust him.